question. How many of you have ever felt helpless? It's not in your bulletin. There's a slide there if you want to write that down. You ever feel helpless? It's like I've got this impossible job. I don't know how in the world I'm going to be able to do it, but I got to do it. Or maybe you're looking for a job, and you've been looking for weeks, for months, maybe for at least a year. It's like, I can't find a job. Or maybe you have a job, but it doesn't pay enough to pay the bills. Just feel helpless. Or maybe you're expecting a call from the doctor any day now to get back news about your health. And you don't know what he's going to say and you feel helpless. Maybe you're struggling in a marriage. Perhaps you're struggling with your kids. Maybe you're struggling with your parents. And you just feel helpless. You don't know what to do. If you feel helpless today, I've got good news. You're in good company. Did you know a lot of the greatest people who ever lived at one time or another felt helpless? Even a lot of the greatest followers of God at one time or another felt helpless. Think about it. Isaiah the prophet, he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe is filling the temple. And Isaiah says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Until God touched his lips, he felt helpless. How about Jeremiah the prophet? When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, I don't think I can do this. I'm just a child. How about Gideon? God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I want you to deliver the people of Israel from this powerful nation of Midian. There is no way he could take them down in his own power. There's no way the Israelites could altogether. And Gideon looks back and answers God and says, God, (laughs) surely you can't mean me. I am the least member of my family. And my family's not very impressive either. He felt helpless. How about Elijah? He was at the very high point. Greatest day, perhaps, in his entire life in ministry. He cries out to God, and God sends fire down from heaven. How many of you ever had God do that for you? God sends fire, literal fire, down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice. He takes on 450 prophets of Baal. It's a big day in his life. Then what happens? Jezebel, the wicked queen, threatens him. 
You know what he does? He runs for his life. He hides in a cave. He felt helpless. Today we're going to take a look at a man by the name of Moses. There was a time in Moses' life when he did not feel helpless. In fact, he was a Hebrew, an Israelite, but he had become, as a baby, the adopted grandson of Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. There was a time when Moses probably thought, I am the man. There was one day when Moses was about 40 years old, he saw an Israelite picking on a Hebrew slave. You know what Moses did? He stepped in. He did something about it. In fact, he killed the Egyptian. Killed him dead. That's how most people get killed. They get killed dead. <laughs> but Pharaoh was none too happy about it. Pharaoh decided he wanted Moses dead. So Moses runs for his life under the backside of the desert. For the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the names of God. We're not going to cover all the names. I read somewhere last week that there are a thousand names for God or more in the Bible. We're not going to have a, a thousand week sermon series, okay, so you can relax a little bit. But we're going to look at a lot of them, and we're going to look at them in context. Today's context takes a look at Moses and the people of Israel. And you'll notice that their difficulty had been going on for a while. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, tells us that it was during that long period. One of the troubles with trouble is it often lasts a long time. If it were like getting a booster shot, we could handle it. Okay, I'll take my shot. Ooh. <clears throat> 30 seconds later, okay, I'm good. Five days later, don't even know you had it. If it was like taking a, a shot of NyQuil, how many of you ever taken NyQuil? How many of you love NyQuil? Doesn't taste so good, does it? If it were like taking a, a shot of NyQuil, it's like, okay, I'm going to take my medicine. Go. Ugh. Okay, I'm done. 30 minutes later, it's like, I'm just hoping it's going to kick in, right? This morning, I smashed my finger in the door. It wasn't a real bad smash, okay? I don't think it's going to, like, make my fingernail black. But for a minute or two, I mean, it hurt. But now I'm not even sure which one it was. But one of the troubles with trouble, it often lasts for a long time. It can be like congestive heart failure or a debilitating arthritis or a bad case of plantar fasciitis. Anybody here ever have plantar fasciitis? All right, I got several of you. Well, about three years ago, I got this plantar fasciitis in my right foot. 
And it's like, okay, I don't like it. It's painful. I just get off my feet when I can. It's like, I'll just try to deal with it. And I did all these little exercises. Stuff. People recommended nothing really helped a lot. And I got a little insert in my shoes, so I'm about a half inch taller than I really should be. But So that's a good thing. But anyway, probably, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, it kind of developed in... To this, got this sciatic nerve then going down, down the back of my hip, all the way down my leg, into my foot. Anybody here have sciatic nerve? Okay, got a few of you. All right. Hey, we're brothers and sisters. All right. So, anyway, I just try these little exercises and different things and all that kind of stuff. It's just, just nagging. And to be honest, it's a little bit embarrassing. I, I might have told you uh, a couple of months ago, I was at a funeral home. Visitation and it was a long line. It was about 45 minutes long, and after about five minutes, I was like, I gotta sit down. So I just kind of walk and I'm sitting next to standing next to a couch, like I'm gonna sit down. It was really embarrassing because I sat down in couches and chairs the whole way around the room. And there's like an 85-year-old lady standing next to me. She never sat down. So after a while, about six weeks ago, I said, I want to do something about this. So I started going to physical therapy. And I saw some of you over there, too. So I know some of you got this issues. And really nice people over there. And they started giving me these exercises and stuff and stretches. And I was doing some of them already and put me in traction. But none of it really helped a lot. And then they said, we're going to try something if it's okay with you called dry needling. Anybody here having dry needling done? Got a few of you, okay. And it's like, okay, they, what they do is a little bit like acupuncture. They stick these needles in you, okay? And it's supposed to help. Um, but after the first couple of times, they hooked me up to a TENS unit. Anybody here been hooked up to a TENS unit? Okay. First time. I've got hooked up to a TENS unit. I think I was over at a Bible study at Jim and Claudia Richardson's. Somebody stuck a TENS unit on me. I thought they were trying to electrocute me. It's like, like, get that thing off of me. But now I'm in pain. And I know a lot of people do this, and so it's safe. But she says, we're going to hook this TENS unit up to these needles that we're putting in your back and in your leg. And so they hook them up, and they try to stick them in these nerves so they can get the nerves to jumping. And they get these nerves jumping in your leg. It's like crazy. And she just leaves the room, says, there's a bell over here. If you get too much pain, just hit the bell. But you know what? I don't ever hit the bell. And I tell her, you turn that thing up just as hard as you need to turn it up because I want to be free from this pain. It's hard sometimes when pain is ongoing. And some of you have much, much, much more difficult things to deal with. And the people of Israel did too. They're slaves. And they have ruthless taskmasters taking advantage of them. And it's been going on for a long time. Go to verse 23 as it continues. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. 
How many of you ever feel like groaning? Ugh, right? The good news was God heard the Israelites cry. But God doesn't just come down and handle it himself. He could have. But most of the time, God sends somebody. Let me encourage you to be somebody's somebody. Be there for somebody. It might be a friend. It might be somebody that you work with. It might be somebody in your family. But let me encourage you to to be somebody's somebody. We need people in our lives. God can help people without us, but most of the time he chooses to use us. We need people in our lives, and people need us in their lives. I'm reminded of the mom and the little boy who had moved in with dad and another child or two into a new house. And after they had moved in, this little boy, for the first time, has his own room. And he is so excited about it. Until it came time for bed. He's got to sleep for the first time by himself. And he doesn't know if he's going to like this. Because after mom prays with him, she turns off the light... All he has is a little bitty nightlight, and she leaves the room. About five minutes later, Johnny calls out, Mama, Mama, come here. Mama comes in there. What's wrong, Johnny? Johnny says, it's dark in here, and I'm scared, and I think there's a monster underneath my bed. Mama looks under the bed, looks back at John. He says, I think you're fine. There's no monster under your bed. Just try and go to sleep. She leaves the room. About five minutes later, Johnny cries out again. Mama, Mama, come here. Mama comes back into the room. What's wrong, Johnny? Johnny says, I think there's a monster in my closet. Mama walks over, looks in the closet, checks it out. No, I think you're good, Johnny. There's no monster in your closet. And just remember this, Johnny. Remember when you get scared to pray. And just ask Jesus to take care of you. and You'll be fine. So about five minutes later, guess what happens? Mom's sitting in the living room. Johnny calls out again. Mama, Mama, Mama. Mama walks back into the room. What's wrong, Johnny? Johnny says, it's dark in here. I think there's monsters in the room. And I know you told me just to cry out to Jesus when I get afraid. But I need somebody with some skin on. (laughs) We all need somebody with some skin on. We need to be there for one another. We need people in our lives, and you need to be there to help other people. That's why we have church, so we can be together. That's why we have small groups in Sunday school, so we can be together to encourage one another when times get hard. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. 
God's response to Israel's misery leads to Moses' mystery. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Notice where Moses was. The King James says he was on the backside of the desert. Moses is about as far from civilization as you can get. The name of the mountain where Moses was tending the flock was Horeb. Horeb literally means desert or desolation. Not much going on there. Here was Moses on the backside of the desert around the mountain of desolation. But it really doesn't matter where you are, God can find you. Do you believe that? He knows your circumstances. He understands your situation. He knows where you live. Horeb was also known as Mount Sinai, or possibly Mount Sinai was in the Horeb mountain range. Can you think of anything else significant that happened at Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments, right? That's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, right? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Pretend to be Moses for just a moment. You're out there on the backside of the desert. You've been there for 40 years. You're not expecting anything great to happen in your life. And all of a sudden, while you're out there on the backside of the desert watching these sheep, you see this burning bush. There's a bush that's literally on fire. But the bush is not burning down. It's not being consumed. And so you walk over to that bush to see what in the world is going on. Moses is not expecting God to do anything great. Not now. 40 years ago, maybe when I was living in the palace, but not now. Moses has already died to that dream. Sometimes you may have to die to your dream so God can resurrect his dream. Moses' mystery was followed by God's message. Go to Exodus 3, verses 4 and 5. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. God wants to give you direction. But first, 
He's got to get your attention. Go to verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice God didn't say he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't let anybody tell you that our God is outdated. Revelation 1-4 tells us that we serve the God who was and is and is to come. Amen? Hebrews 13a says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? In verse 11, Moses says, God, who am I that you should go to, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Forty years ago, maybe. Now, there is no way I could ever go back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh and say, you need to let God's people go. That's just impossible. I used to be somebody. But now, Moses said, I'm just a nobody. Well, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. What ultimately matters is who your God is. You might be the class valedictorian, voted most likely to succeed. Or you might be like Gideon, the least member of an insignificant family. You might be Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Amazing. Or when people think about you, they may roll their eyes and Shake their head and say, he never ceases to amaze me. You might be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Or you might be sweeping floors down there at the factory. It doesn't matter, ultimately, who you are. What ultimately matters is this. Who is your God? You see, the Bible says you serve the God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or think or even imagine. Do you believe that? You serve the God who says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? You serve the God who said you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you believe that? You don't serve the God who just was you serve the God who is at work in this world today. Verse 12, God says to Moses, I will certainly be with you. Moses, you're not going to have to do this alone. I'm going to be with you. He tells us he'll be with us as well. Now to go to verses 13 and 14. And watch where God shows us his name. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. That sounds 
like an odd answer to me. I am who I am? What in the world does that mean? Well, one thing it means is that our God has no equal. I'm not equal. You're not equal. All of us put together are not equal to God. In fact, all of the people in the world put together are not equal with God. In fact, all of creation, all of the people, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, all of us put together, we are not equal with God. If you put all of us on one side of the scale and God on the other side of the scale, we wouldn't even move the scale a quarter of an inch because our God has no equal. Jesus would later take this personal name of God, the I Am, and apply it to himself in the New Testament. When he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our God has no equal. God's not done talking about his name. Go to verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word translated the Lord in verse 15 comes from the Tetragrammaton YHWH. Say with me. Tetragrammaton. Now, what in the world does that mean? It basically means the four letters, okay? Y-H-W-H is the tetragrammaton. God is giving Moses his name, and it's Y-H-W-H. Now, why no vowels in there? Well, the Hebrew language, they did not include vowels in their writing till many, many, many years later, but we're pretty certain that it was pronounced Yahweh, okay? Y-A-W-E-H. Something else that's interesting about this name is that the Jews, about 500 years before the birth of Christ, decided that the name Yahweh was too holy to pronounce, so they would not even say the name anymore. They would say the Lord or Adonai, but they would not say Yahweh. They considered it too holy to pronounce. Here in Exodus chapter 3, we see that God seems to be using I am and Yahweh, those two names interchangeably as one, one name, one meaning. Now, Yahweh was not a new name to Moses or to the people of Israel. It appears more than 600 or 160 times in the book of Genesis. In fact, Moses' mother's name was Jochebed. Do you know what the name Jochebed means? It means Yahweh 
for the Lord God is my glory. It may be that God was calling Moses and the people of Israel back to the name they had known before. Or that even though God was using the same name he used with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he was about to reveal himself and his power over creation in the keeping of his covenant and delivering his people in a way like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not get to see. If Yahweh, the Lord, or I am, is such an important name for God in the Bible, what does it mean? One thing it means that we just touched on is our God has no equal. Not everything put together can be equal to God. A second thing it means is God never had a beginning and he never has an ending. If we were to draw a line representing the length of God's lifetime, there would be an arrow on both ends indicating infinity. God always has been. God always will be. Another thing it means is God is utterly independent and self-sufficient. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to make him happy. He doesn't need our praises in order for him to feel good about himself. He doesn't need us to make heaven amazing. God is utterly independent and self-sufficient. Now, he chooses to use us, absolutely. He chooses to use us to share the message of the gospel with the world. He's not going to use angels... He's not going to write the message on the sky for everybody to see and repent. No, he uses us. But he is utterly independent and self-sufficient. Here's another thing about God. What this meaning of Yahweh, the Lord, the I Am is. That is everything that is not God depends totally on God. God created it and God sustains it. In fact, if God were to stop sustaining the world, we'd all be history. He is the one who gives us breath. He is the one who holds the universe together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us that Jesus Christ is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He created the universe and he is the one who sustains it. We are all dependent upon God. Here's another thing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. People change. Did you know that? Have you noticed? Look around you. Say the person next to you. You People change. Now I said, you've changed. And a lot of us not for the better. How many of you are... um, I'm not going to go there. Uh, How many of you get around better now if you're over 60 than you did when you were under 30? Probably none of us, right? How many of you have fewer wrinkles at 70 than you did at 20? Doesn't happen, does it? We age. We change. Things are different. 
God has always been perfect. He always will be perfect. He never changes. Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. God doesn't change. Here's another thing about God. God does whatever he pleases and he is the absolute authority. It would not matter if every single one of us in the room voted for something and we said it was right and God said it was wrong. Guess who's wrong? We are. This could never happen. But let's pretend like every person in America voted yes for the same thing. Now, that's never going to happen, okay? But let's say it did. Let's say every single person in America was in favor of this. But God says it's still sin. Guess what? It's still sin. God is the absolute authority. I'm not, you're not, we're not. God is, okay? Here's another God is an inexhaustible source of energy. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Yahweh, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint or grow weary. He never gets tired. He never says, oh, man, it's been a long day. I need a nap. How many of you ever need a nap? Some of you taking one right now won't say who. Okay? God doesn't get tired. God does not need a nap, Tristan. He's always awake. Just messing with you. He never gets tired. Somebody, well, didn't he rest on the seventh day after creation? He didn't rest because he got tired. He rested because he was done. God does not get tired. His energy is inexhaustible. Here's another. Finally, God is a covenant-keeping God. Isn't that good news? And the greatest covenant of all, he made by sending Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. To come to this earth, live a perfect, sinless life, to die on a cross, to be buried, and three days later, to rise again. And for all of us who are willing to turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, he is offering Heaven forever and ever and ever. And God's not going to say, you know what, I changed my mind. I don't think I'm going to do it through Jesus anymore. I think I'm going to do it through good works. I think what I'm going to do is everybody's going to have to give 90% of their income or everybody's going to have to go to church 5,000 times or everybody's going to have to do this or that or the other thing. No, God's not going to change what he decided. He is a covenant-keeping God. Here's some more good news. God's not going to get tired of you in heaven. It's not going to be, well, you've been here for 100 years already, and you're starting to get on my nerves. You're out. 
leave. How many of you have people get on your nerves? Some of you married to them, right? My wife's like, yeah. God's not going to say, you're getting on my nerves. Leave me alone. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a God who keeps his word. He's a God who chooses to love us when we don't deserve to be loved. Now, he expects us to obey him and to follow him, absolutely. And he disciplines those that he loves, absolutely. But he keeps his covenant. And he loves you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior who died for you and was buried and raised from the dead, today's your day. Give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tell you follow Jesus and all your problems will go away. All my problems haven't gone away. I doubt that any of yours have either. But I will say... If you follow Jesus Christ, he'll walk with you through the middle of them. And he'll give you help. And he'll give you his presence. And he'll give you power that you don't have apart from him. And he gives you purpose and meaning like this world can never give. And he's calling you today. To follow him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. For your compassion. For your love. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Lord, now help us to respond to your word. Help us to respond to the Holy Spirit of God. Help us, Lord, this morning to say yes to you.